Hey everybody and welcome to the Fathoming Heavy Podcast. Today my guest is guitarist Chad Remains. Chad is out in Boise, Idaho, and I met Chad about six years ago uh, when he was playing with his former Doom project, Uzula. Uh, we met at Roadbird in 2015. We spent an afternoon and evening together in Amsterdam after the festival, but we really haven't connected since. Uzula has ceased to be, but Chad has hooked up with a new project called Gorot. That's G-H-O-R-O-T, whose new album is due in, man, next week. Uh, it's called Loss of Light, and is sure to be epic, so go to their Bandcamp page for more info on that. Uh, and as I said, uh, it's been a minute since Chad and I have connected. Uh, it was great to sit down in a slightly less hectic atmosphere and to get to know him just a little better. Uh, to learn more about where he came from, his origin story, uh, who he is, and I really appreciate him taking the time to chat with me. Uh, This is a great episode, great conversation, so uh, settle in and enjoy. Uh, As always, you can hit me up on the socials. Um, I don't do very much, but I always respond to messages, and you can also email me at fathomingheavy at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening. Appreciate the support. Appreciate the feedback, words of encouragement. All right, enough of this. Let's do it. years yeah i was thinking about that um roadburn 2015 uzula played and bellwitch played and then my buddy craig and i met up with you guys in amsterdam that monday and we had that night at victor's bar yeah the mines cafe yes yeah awesome place yeah yeah yeah, that was a damn fine time that was a great time and then yeah i think i don't think our paths have crossed again since then nope i don't think so yeah, it was uh, shortly after that, Uzla did what we didn't realize at the time was a farewell tour. It was like four or five days and yeah, ended at Crucial Fest in Salt Lake City, opened for Goat Snake, which was like a big, big dream for us. It's like, hey, we should play Roadburn and we should open for Goat Snake. Then we did both of those things and then the band was over. Mic drop. Yep. <laughs> I forgot to set another goal, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, it is great to reconnect with you. You have been on a list of people that I have wanted to talk to for a long time. Um, and so this finally felt like a good opportunity. I kind of lost track of you a few years back, and then you kind of resurfaced with this new project that you're working on. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, but I wanted to kind of get into you know, who you are as a, as a person, get some of your story. One of the questions that I like to kind of lead off with, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what's happening for you now, but I'm really, really interested in how musicians and artists and creative people um, kind of got their start, how they got into heavy music, how it's impacted their lives. So one of the questions that I like to kind of lead with is just simply, how did you get into heavy music? How did it start for you? Like, uh, I grew up in a, a, a very uh, church-going, pretty conservative 
military household. Uh, my dad was Air Force, or as the other armed services like to call him, Chair Force. Um, he was a go-getter in that realm of his life. That Air Force was his life. Everything else kind of came second. Uh, I think at the end of his life, he regretted that. But during that time, that was the most important thing. And uh, it was definitely a salute the flag and kneel to the cross kind of childhood for me. Travel, I a lot of travel. Lots of moving around. Yeah, lived in England, lived in, uh, uh, let's see, a little tiny town called Munford. Lived in Florida, North Carolina, Texas, uh, New Mexico, uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada. My dad worked at the test site there. That was the 80s, right? The stealth fighter was a project. My dad was on top secret clearance. He was gone days out of the week. Nobody talked about dad's job. Uh, it was Reagan years. It was the height of the Cold War. The finger was poised over the button, all of that stuff. Um, but going back a little bit further, probably New Mexico was where I kind of discovered heavy music um, with my dad's cassette collection. He had gotten rid of all of his vinyl because he had three lunatic boys and he was like, well, this isn't going to do anybody any good except for get destroyed. So sold it, sold off all of his vinyl at a, at a garage sale, but he had a bunch of tapes. And as we know, tapes are completely indestructible, right? Unless you really, really try. So he had a bunch of tapes and he had this cool old silver face receiver and tape player and some Bose 301 speakers and uh, some Koss eggshell over the ear headphones. I got really curious about these tapes. There was this uh, faux alligator skin tape case with like fake crushed velvet lining. And I was like, what is this beautiful stuff? And all, all of these handwritten tapes, they were all pirated. So I started listening through all of these tapes. There was like Manfred Mann and Seals and Crofts and blah, 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 stuff that just didn't hit for me. Right. Then Electric Light Orchestra. I was like, whoa, now this is some music. I had no concept of what bands were made of. No clue. It was just music. It was pure. It was in my headphones because a lot of times they didn't want to hear it in the house. Sure. So I was just in this world. And there was a rush farewell to kings tape and on the back side was just he had bbc radio from when we lived over in england he had just recorded some bbc one radio yeah so this side one this rush farewell to kings i was like wow this is really neat again no idea that it was three guys yeah. uh doing this and there's this song cygnus x1 and it absolutely terrified me and fascinated me and Battlestar Galactica was a thing at the time and I was like I could see it all in my head like this story was happening and and this screaming guitar and, and this crazy echo sounds and hell the lyrics too so that probably was a, a decisive moment in ruining my childhood and ruining my life and and changing my my path yeah. for sure on the other side of the tape on that bbc one broadcast there was uh the the dj introed it it was the battle forevermore mm. by led zeppelin mm. again the story 
yeah. the guitar, the drums, having no idea what these guys looked like or that they were even guys. I had no clue. It was right. just music. Right. And those those were big ones for me. And it made me want to hear more stories and hear more crazy guitars and more crazy bass. And, you know, I didn't even know which instruments were doing what at the time. Uh, but that was that was a big one for me. Even if you never branched out from those two bands, just the catalog alone for Rush and Zeppelin, you kind of have it all right there. Yeah. And, and Cygnus X1 continues to terrify and and fascinate right along with, you know, side A of 2112. Um, yeah. I mean, those were such epic pieces of music that were just kind of un unprecedented and unparalleled. And for me, had the same kind of impact, you know. Like a spiral sea unending. <laughs> yeah, sound and fury drowns my heart. You are, um, I think we're about the same age. You're, you're 48, 49? I'll be 49 uh, July 25th. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so you're a couple year or a couple months ahead of me. Yeah. We were growing up exploring the same stuff, probably around the same time, I would imagine. Like very. Yeah. Where, where were you living in 1984? I was That's in kind San of a pivotal year. I was in San Francisco in 1984. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I had gone through kind of my, my ACDC phase. I started with that and then I got into Kiss and that was my band. And then it was, you know, Maiden and Priest. But then, you know, in the city, um, I had some older friends who were going to see those early, early Metallica shows. And so, yeah. um, so they were feeding me that stuff. So, uh, you know, and I couldn't, I was 11, 12 years old. I didn't get to see Metallica until I was 13. Um, yeah. But so I didn't get to go to those shows, but I had the flyers on the walls and I knew what was happening. So that was, I was just in a lucky place and had old friends that turned me on to stuff. Um, yeah yeah I was in Las Vegas uh, at, at that time and uh, it was mostly kids my age that had older brothers yeah. that were like you know leaking us down like Venom records and stuff like that where I was like getting like uh, destruction cassettes yeah. and stuff yeah. like that you know 84 85 and just like and, and literally hiding this stuff from my parents mm -hmm not playing it uh, if, if they were if they weren't home i would play it loud yeah. if they were home it was headphones or it was don't even don't even bring this out of your room yeah 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 stick it behind something for sure yeah, yeah. satanic panic had my parents grabbed grabbed a hold of them big time and they were terrified that they were gonna lose their oldest and most handsome and brilliant child Obviously. Uh, to the to the devil worshipers so how did you, know? you navigate that with them as you got more into it Gosh, it was, yeah, like once, once I started putting, you know, the posters up in my room, once we moved to Idaho, um, I think I had just gotten to where I was like, they'll, they'll have to leave me alone if I just keep going. They'll, they'll give up eventually. And I think they kind of did. My mom was still, she's still convinced that my room was the coldest room in the house because of demons. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's actually just because I kept the window cracked a lot because uh i really like it just cooler in there mm -hmm. there was i promise there's no demons i'm fine nothing nefarious going on here yeah it's yeah. like fresh it's regular regular teenage nefariousness yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> what was the first uh what was the first show you went to the first show i went to was in las vegas it was at a mega church 
the kind with the fake palm trees on the side and all that stuff. Um, it was a band called Baron Cross, okay. and they were kind of like, uh, kind of like an Iron Maiden-ish Christian rock band. We were not allowed to stand up and shout during the performance. It was sit down and and let the power of Christ compel you through heavy metal kind of a show. Um, so that was interesting. It was not the power both, of Ronnie James Dio encouraging yeah. you to stand up and shout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it was like simultaneously like fantastic for me to go to that and then also really disappointing for it to be that. Yeah. You know, for it to be so controlled and and not wild and not untamed. And it took a while. My my dad was going to take me to see Iron Maiden on the Power Slave tour because he loved their song. You're going to love this. Inagata Devita. <laughs> So he was like, yeah, we're going. And I was like, don't tell him, Chad. Do not tell him. We'll just, when when we show up and he sees the stage and Bruce Dickinson comes out as the human air raid siren, maybe he'll figure it out. Did he even appreciate the, the air raid siren and kind of the whole Aces High, you know, aesthetic being that he was in the Air Force and working on? I could definitely get away with playing some of that stuff. Definitely because it, it sounded upbeat and it sounded positive. Uh, yeah, the Aces High, like, I, he he loved that video that was yeah. on MTV, you know. Uh, MTV was, you know, of course, a big deal for all of us back then when it really was music television. And you could watch a Madonna video and an Iron Maiden video back to back. Back to back, right. right. They didn't even have the genre shows yet. It was right. just music television. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would sit there and just watch all afternoon and you know wait for the new maiden or the priest or the new kiss video from you know yeah. whatever lick it up single was happening at that point you know totally yeah totally. yeah 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 and quite right of course and twisted sister in uh sure. rotation scorpions back. scorpions yeah so your poor dad you take him to to see uh maiden and well we were, were supposed you, to you were going to right okay. yeah so then i got busted for skipping church uh, me and my buddy Kenny were slipping out the back thinking that we were really slippery and that no one would notice. We were slipping out the back and skipping church. When my dad found out about that, he burned the tickets in front of me in his ashtray and uh, I was crushed. Fortunately, they didn't find out we were also uh, stealing bikes and jockey boxing cars. So that was cool. I mean, allegedly allegedly right right <laughs> pretty sure there's a statute of limitations right yeah fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get a knock at your door after this <laughs> yeah i hope so yeah <laughs> i've got a lot to answer for man okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, statue of limitations is out on everything i think yeah, <laughs> yeah. you mentioned so you were in vegas and then you i know you're in boise now did you kind of settle in Boise at some point and that's where you've been for the duration? Well, uh, in 1986, right before I turned 14, we moved to Idaho. The family did. I was not happy about that. My dad, since he had done all this really rad stuff uh, with leadership and mechanic skills and avionics and all this stuff, he, he kind of had better choices than a lot of guys. A lot of guys, the military just says, go over there you don't have a choice he had some choices one was hill air force base right outside of salt lake city and we went to visit there and i was like yep let's do that mm. 
and then the other one was uh, Mountain Home Air Force Base, about 35 miles south east of Boise. The only thing that I felt like I had going for me coming to Idaho was I knew that Pusshead was from here and Septic Death was from here. That was all I knew. I didn't know of anything else. Uh, you know, Pusshead was doing his uh, letters page in Thrasher magazine. He was putting out the comps. And uh, what I didn't know is that he had already moved with Septic Death to San Francisco at that point. So I was like, well, at least, at least I'll have that. But when you're 14, 35 miles might as well be 350 miles. Yes. Um, so that was a uh, mountain home was definitely not Boise at that uh, at that juncture or not now either. Uh, but yeah, so so moving to Idaho was not ideal for a 14 year old me. But uh, I found some similarly minded miscreants and misfits to be friends with in mountain home and kind of made the best of it. But there was no music coming to speak of wasn't until you know I was a junior senior in high school that I could make it over to Boise to go and see live music so was music like a thing that connected you with the circle of friends you had out there absolutely okay absolutely it was huge yeah and uh it was it was pretty great too like sometimes it was a uh, you know pretty serious confrontation too like uh I remember this guy, Jim, came up when I was in ninth grade. He came up and he was like, I heard you like Slayer. And I was like, yeah, man, I love Slayer. And he was like, well, I think Slayer sucks. And I was like, well, I think I don't really give a shit what you think. And he was like, he was like, that's a good answer. We should be friends. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, but they still suck. And I was like, all right. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was going to turn into a fight for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's the thing that bonded you together. When did you actually start playing? Let's see. I was about, well, I'd, I had played piano all throughout childhood. Okay. Uh, learned to read music. Um, I've since forgotten. I just stopped caring about that. Punk was a big influence too. And with like the crossover era, like all of that stuff, it was like, there was like the side of like the Ingve Malmsteins and the Steve Vise and the Joe Satriani's of the world. And then there was the other guys, Greg Jin, uh, and you know, these guys like that didn't really give a damn about being good. They just wanted to be loud and nasty. And so I kind of felt like I was like, well, I don't have to be good. I don't have to be skilled. I just have to play and I, I really was more interested in in uh, just playing but yeah so I played viola in uh sixth grade that was wasn't cool enough for me after a while uh then yeah I started playing uh guitar and bass mostly bass in high school and uh, I actually I still have my first bass that I bought it's a 1981 GNL 2000 series really great thing had uh, John Bolin here in Boise, fix it up for me. He's kind of famous for making all the wild ZZ Top guitars. Oh, okay. So, yeah, oh. he's a neat guy. I, you know, I played in a bunch of like not real bands mm -hmm. um, through high school. Uh, I played in the jazz band, like the jazz choir. I played bass in that. Electric. Did bass. just a yeah, 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 yeah. The school had a really cool what was it called? It was called the Ibanez uh, Musician, I think, bass. It was like 
whatever sting toured with on the synchronicity tour like it was really it was might as well have been made of lead it was just a huge monstrous neck through uh, played great but it was like crushing me you know I was like I think 130 pounds then yeah the thing is like a tenth of my weight yeah I didn't take playing very seriously I just enjoyed it and had fun with my friends a lot of garage bands that literally never left a garage sure. you know just put the gorilla amp on a lawn tractor and go for it yeah. kind of stuff sure and then yeah after graduating high school I, I did move to Boise stayed here for a little bit and then it was that was you know 1990 91 my roommates came home one day and said we're moving to seattle and i was like crap i'm gonna have to find a place to live hey can i move to seattle too (laughs) they're like totally so i moved there when that was really the place to be what a time to move to seattle absolutely yeah and then i worked in rock clubs and stuff and i and i still didn't take being in bands very seriously i would I always was buying equipment and playing, um, but I really only cared about seeing music and and buying records and kind of enjoying everybody else's stuff and never took my own stuff seriously at all uh, for years. It was just kind of fun and, you know, made some tapes here and there. But In yeah, I didn't Seattle, care. Like, I mean, working at clubs and just going to, you know, playing music just kind of casually, but going to see all these bands, I mean, you... Did you experience, so you experienced that, that scene for those kind of couple of pivotal years, you experienced a lot of that firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was working in clubs and they had club courtesy there. So it was like, you pretty much got to go to anything that wasn't an arena show or a theater show. If it was in a club, you could just be like, Hey, I'm also from that. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, heck yeah. And got to know all the bartenders and started drinking uh very heavily and uh going to work hungover so I was a oftentimes a breakfast you know line cook at the clubs like Moe's which is now New Moe's and uh the OK Hotel and Mm -hmm. I was always either at a show or hungover from a show seemed like for years and I'm sure I lost plenty of hearing back then and was you know i was into playing a lot of like experimental music with my friends um at excruciating volumes as well and played some experimental kind of noise shows that i also didn't take seriously at all yeah so going back and forth between seattle and boise for basically my entire adult life do you still have uh ties in seattle yeah i have a lot of friends in seattle it's an awesome place i was just up there a little bit ago visiting and and uh saw some nice people and you know kind of marveled at how different things are when you go away for a bit and it's kind of nice to see it again my kid lives uh just north of seattle goes to college up in bellingham so so yeah i'm over in washington fairly often now so you're in Washington and you're, you're playing and, and kind of experimenting with things. At what point, you know, you've said sort of consistently as we've been talking that you weren't really taking the music thing seriously, the, the, the playing. Yeah. At some point that shifted. What was the thing that caused that to shift to cause you to say, hey, maybe I actually want to put some real effort and time into this? But I say that, but, but you also talked about you, you played piano and you played viola and you played all of this stuff. So you've, you never took it super seriously, but you've got a very long and solid foundation 
for it. Sure. So there's that, you know, that's, that's worth acknowledging and not discounting, I think also, because that, that's huge. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my, my mom was always singing at home. I always sing too. And uh, yeah, music was always a big deal for us. My dad was always uh, tone deaf and needed a bigger bucket to carry the music in because he couldn't quite carry it on his own. He could do a fantastic Louis Armstrong impression. That's about, <laughs> it's about his range. Um, could be worse. Could be worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was real good at that. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, music itself was always incredibly important to me and like you know like we mentioned earlier like forming friendships kind of based on that was a big deal but yeah I didn't really take being in any band terribly seriously at all until Darcy and I formed Uzula. okay I felt like when we had that first writing session I was like this feels real mm -hmm. this feels like something that I really want to work on really hard and i i want to set goals for it like it felt awesome um everything else before that was i was like ah, i could play a gig i could not play a gig i could go to rehearsal i could not go to rehearsal i'm just thinking i'm wondering if there's a connection because we haven't really talked about the fact that uzla is like for all intents and purposes you know a doom band that's what i would right. call them and you know that for just just to put a a, a word on it um, yeah. Of course, a lot of the stuff that was happening in Seattle, Soundgarden, for instance, and some of the, you know, there, there were slower, heavier bands, some of the early Screaming Trees stuff, Yeah. Tad, um, you know, some of that. Tad, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I found out about Tad a little bit later, like when I actually moved to Boise, I was like, huh. oh, this, this guy is from here. Awesome. Okay. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was what was going on. They're like, yeah, H hour, Tad, you know. So it was like, okay, cool. Boise is a little bit cooler. You know, we had tree people here and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was definitely some cool stuff going on with music in, in Boise uh, when I finally got away from Mountain Home. Uh, you know, I, I have to uh, remember as well that like I could go, I could walk up to my friend Lance's house. He lived up on the hill in Mountain Home and we could listen to KBSU radio, which was like the college radio station. And uh, Mark Hanford had a show called Mutant Pop on Fridays. And we would like rev up the tape player so that we could hit record, yeah, you yeah. know, so that we could catch all of this new stuff. Poison Idea, sure. you know, uh, Cryptic Slaughter, sure. Agnostic Front, Black Flag, you know, on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, a lot, and, and every once in a while he would slip in some metal stuff too, you know, because of that era. Um, but it was mostly a punk show. It was mostly like a hardcore punk show. And so that was really exciting. Was he accused a thing for you back then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I went down to Salt Lake City to visit Raunch Records, uh, I saw a bunch of their records, you know, and bought some of their tales of Martha Splatterhead right, kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. so all of that stuff was was definitely on my radar and, and was kind of a pivotal, pivotal moments. But what about sort of the the slower, heavier side, uh, which is kind of what I'm, you know, thinking about when I think about Uzla, um, like Earth and Melvins, yeah, stuff like that. What caused you to decide to want to actually have a band like Uzla versus an, a band a band like Poison Idea or the Accused or Cryptic Slaughter, which is kind of on the other end of the spectrum? 
Yeah, it's funny because sometimes I think of like some of the Uzula riffs like on the early stuff and I'm like, no, man, there's some like kind of thrashy, like kind mm -hmm. of black metal-y stuff in there too because um, I'm not super good at making that distinction of like, we're only going to be this sure. kind of band sure. um, or maybe I'm too stubborn to do that or something. I'm not sure. But yeah, uh, Celtic Frost and Earth are probably equally influential on on that band and uh pentagram was a huge one you know for sure I, i'm not sure how much real thought we put into it to be honest just like start writing and and start doing it you and darcy were sort of the the core of that band you were the two consistent people throughout the different incarnations of that band did that start yeah. as um as a personal relationship at the band formed around or did the band start you and Darcy started as sort of musical partners and then the personal relationship started uh we'd been we'd been married for a long time at that point got it okay. and right. th th that was actually a, a date night like we had kind of normally been you know we had a child by then and okay. we had started a business and we'd done all this like really neat adult stuff and um we're like kind of doing date nights every once in a while grandma lives here in town and so we had a babysitter and she was really safe and and happy there and like hey we can go on dates this is super cool we were kind of gonna do the normal thing that we did which was go to dinner go to a movie and then have drinks at the neurolux after and she was like hey why don't we just go to your rehearsal space and play music and i was like yeah let's do that that's an awesome idea and i think we stayed up till about eight or so in the morning i think that's when we actually left the bomb shelter which is literally a cold war bomb shelter yeah. left there and we had a handful of songs by that time okay and we had kind of decided that we wanted to pursue it you know in that that range of 10 hours yeah. of just writing music that's amazing I was like this could be good <laughs> what what a date night yeah i mean that kind of yeah wow catalyst for this amazing thing to come out of that i'm glad she said something because i would have never thought of it i'm oh. i would have been like yep here we go edwards 21 cinemas and uh some sort of cool restaurant that we haven't tried before right right, right. <laughs> yeah well, just that decision kind of uh changed the trajectory of everything yeah what like what year was that uh that would have been 2009 okay so it was a couple years later that the first record came out yeah yeah we did that we did a demo in 2010 i was like spray painting copper cds in the backyard and like writing uzula 2010 demo on it in sharpie and sending them out and this guy from finland sent me a nasty email and was like fuck your stupid CDR demo, you asshole. Put it out on cassette or it's not true. And I was like, I'll do it. And you need to be like in line to get that shit or I'll come to Finland and we'll talk about it. Yeah, put up and, or shut up, buddy. Yeah, and, and he totally went for it. So we did like, I think we did like 110 or 120 of those demos. And uh, we hadn't played outside of Boise yet. And they kind of started going all over the place and i was like this is incredible like this feels so bizarre like it felt like it felt like like the tape trading days or something you know what i mean like 
uh, I was like, I didn't think that, that we would get any kind of traction being from, you know, some spot on the map near the Snake River that, I mean, most people don't even know that Septic Death was from here or that mm -hmm. Dad was from here, you know, like, uh, so we, we didn't expect really anything. Sure. And when, when we started getting traction and people started liking it and loving it, even I was like, this is, this is amazing to me. Yeah. And then we recorded with uh, Blake from Wolf Serpent. Oh, uh, yeah. Blake Green. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Blake Green uh, recorded with him at the Visual Arts Collective. They were like closed during the day and we just recorded on the stage. There was an actual recording studio next door, but we didn't use that. <laughs> We just used this, you know, the, all the reverb was actually just from the big empty room made of concrete. That's something better about that anyway. Yeah, yeah so that first, uh, that self-titled record, very much homemade. I mean, I think that it was done really well by Blake, but it was definitely on like, you know, this edge of, of uh, a whole, like on our side, on Darcy and I's side anyway, of people that didn't know what the hell they were doing and just kind of like, going well i guess we just have to play our songs pretty good now <laughs> <laughs> yeah we just need to play these songs and you had um nick fit from graves at sea uh yeah space with you um yeah we we had uh myth and uh brooks blackhawk and maximilian avia i think that's how you say his name probably messing it up uh we played this melvin's after party show like down the street so melvin's played at at the neurolux and we played this after party show like unofficial thing uh down the street it was like big business melvin's tour mm -hmm. things right. that was going on we played this show and uh they stayed with us after because we were always putting bands up because we lived like a mile from downtown and nick said he wanted to join the band and i said well that's a terrible idea you you live in portland it'll never work like you can, you'll never even be at rehearsal. And he was like, ah, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, it'll be fine. And he kind of talked me into it. And I was like, cool. All right. Uh, Steve uh, was playing drums at the time. He, when he quit Uzula, he went to join Built to Spill, which okay. is, you know, enormous Boise band. Um, so that was a really good move for him because there was definitely no money in Uzula. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you froze up there for a sec when oh. you were talking about how Nick got connected with you guys. You, I, so the, you froze up for maybe 10 seconds. And so I didn't oh. hear, was he in another band that was touring through and played yeah. at the, after, the Melbourne's after party thing? Or? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. But that wasn't Graves at Sea. No, no. Yeah. And, and I had met, I had met Nick uh, years prior when I was living in Seattle. I put on a couple of shows up there. Um, again, like kind of being like not super involved in, in wanting to play. I was in a band at the time that was called Old Growth um, with Rob Morrison from Tarantula Hawk and Nick Rogerson. Uh, he was in like Phalanx and some other like punk mm -hmm. stuff. He was on drums. So we had this two bass band that Rob from Tarantula Hawk and I were friends for years and years. And uh, I don't think we took life seriously much less that band but it was the very first lesbian show I'm sure you oh, know that band sure yeah and then yeah so it was uh uh lesbian and old growth and graves at sea so that's uh when i met them or maybe i had met them before and it was the second time i'm not sure yeah something like that but yeah nick and i had known each other for a while yeah it, it 
it was really good for a long time. I like him a lot. And Graves is one of my sort of, sort of for, for this type of music, one of my entry bands. They played, sure. there was a, I think it was, I think it was like a sort of a mini festival in San Francisco, maybe 2004. That weekend I saw Graves at Sea, Conate and Asunder. Awesome. I, I had known, you know, Dino and John from Asunder already, but I had kind of not been paying attention and I didn't know this thing was going on. But Graves was, was the first band I saw that weekend and I had never heard them before. And yeah. it kind of changed everything for me about how I thought about what could be done with heavy music. And, you know, I was listening to Sun and, and, and I'd been listening to Earth for years at that point. Um, yeah. But something clicked about graves at sea and kind of brought it all together for me and they remain that that show in september of 2004 remains one of those pivotal sort of game-changing shows for me um and then to see Connie yeah. after them that night and then to see asunder a couple of nights later it, it was it was a complete mind shift um so yeah he holds a very special place for me so you make the next record tales of blood and fire and Nick was still playing bass and but yeah, uh -huh. Chuck, Chuck Watkins came in on drums yeah for that record and um that was kind of the that was Nick's idea okay to get Chuck okay because uh, Chuck had toured with Graves at Sea and he was like he was like this is the best doom metal drummer in the world we got to get him and I was like are you serious Nick another Portland guy like <laughs> fuck <laughs> like I can I get a Boise guy so I can at least, you know, have rehearsal with a drummer? And he was like, right. dude, it's, it's gotta be this guy. And I was like, fuck, fine. Yeah. Okay. We'll fly him out and we'll try him, you know? And, and it seemed totally foolish at the time. Um, and then he just came out and just put the hammers down and I was like, okay, totally. Yep. We'll do this it's absolutely ridiculous thing that we shouldn't do. How did you we'll navigate have... that? Like, how did you, with you and Darcy and Boise and, and Chuck and, um, nick out in portland uh darcy and i just continued writing everything um the only song we didn't write uh other than you know cover tunes obviously was on the first record there was a song called plague that that steve wrote okay brought it on piano brought it in on one of those goofy little uh micro cassette recorders yeah 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 and uh he was like i wrote a song do you guys want to hear it and i was like yeah, I want to hear it because he was a a brilliant, brilliant songwriter. And I was like, what is what is this guy gonna do, you know, for Doom? Like it's not his background, but I was like, I believe in him. And he pushed play on this silly little micro cassette recorder. And Darcy and I were just blown away. We we're like, can we really have this song? Mm -hmm. This is beautiful. But yeah, other than that, it was just, you know, Darcy and I every Monday was coffee band practice. We'd get our kid off to school and then we would go to the bomb shelter and write songs and rehearse and stuff. And so we just kind of kept doing that. And then we would fly the boys out, Portland boys, fly them out when it was time to either get ready for a recording or a tour. We were mostly unavailable for local gigs. <laughs> so we were like the worst local band on earth. Yeah. But we kind of we kind of knew that that was going to be a thing when we had that first like writing session. We we're like this is not a doom metal town. This we're not going to be Boise's favorite band. Mm -hmm. That's never ever going to happen. Like we should just choose gigs 
wisely, even when we did have uh, Steve in the band and he was local, we're like, we shouldn't push too hard to just be on every gig because it's just, I, I didn't see any sense in it. Right. I didn't see Boise falling in love with us. So I was like, well, then we'll just take the shit on the road. Right. And we'll make records and we'll, you know, do other stuff. And, you know, kind of jokingly, like, we were like, we should play Roadburn because we'd been to Roadburn. You know, we were like, we should do that. And we we're like, okay, so that's our goal. That's the goal of Uzla is to play Roadburn. And uh, then, you know, the other thing was, we should we should open for Goat Snake. That would be sick. <laughs> so yeah, we did both of those things and then it those exploded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, most bands can't say that they've achieved all their goals. You know, you only got to set two. That's the that's the secret, I guess. <laughs> Just yeah. set two goals. <laughs> so when you played Roadburn in 2015, mm-hmm. Nick was not with you, and in fact, right. you didn't have a bass player. Right. Um, so that that tour over there was baseless yeah so uh nick had kind of said this prophetic thing he was joking he's a joker that he was like i'm gonna play bass so good that you'll never have another bass player after me (laughs) and uh when when we parted ways darcy was like well i'll play bass and so we you know went bass shopping we went rig shopping it was pretty much gonna be like gibson destroyer bass or explorer bass uh rather and ampeg svt and i was like well yeah i mean we could drop five grand and you could start playing bass i guess and i was like but what if we bought this like 100 hundred dollar boss pedal mm. and bought a inexpensive bass head and just run a stereo rig you know stereo like a split rig and i was like and let's just see if it works and so Darcy was playing guitar, splitting her signal with one of the hex uh, phase wizard splitters. Because um, I was using one of those two, so I could run two different guitar heads. Because, you know, it was a more is more kind of a band. Right. So I was like, well, let's try this and see if it works. And so she was playing bass and guitar essentially at the same time. So we did have bass. It was just synthetic i guess right 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 right. yeah well the sound i mean the sound on that live at roadburn record is is full certainly it's not yeah lacking in any way to my ears yeah we, we we had we had a good amount of practice by then of of doing this uh split rig thing we had uh had the guys from eagle twin you know they ran hex cabs and they had made us uh some custom six by twelves that were actually vertical three by twelves um split so the separate inputs on either side so when we rolled our stuff on stage we were already the loudest band there just because it looked so great um and then when we when we got quieter as a band we got clearer which made us sound louder okay if that makes any sense (laughs) sure but yeah, we had done quite a bit of touring in the U.S. Um, we had flown out to a couple of festivals to play, you know, uh, Gilead. Oh, yeah. um, so we had gotten pretty good at doing that three-piece thing before we went to Europe for that. Yeah, and then we'd done the the 2014 one uh, with Sabbath Assembly. Right. Got, I got to fight a 5150 amp the whole tour. <laughs> I was supposed to get a... 71 super lead and the death metal band was supposed to get the 5150 oh. and 
the cases got swapped. So I'm sure that band was just as happy as I was with the result <laughs> of that. Uh, there was no no unswapping at that point. Huh? Damage. Yeah, yeah. They went one way and we went okay. the other way. And it was like, oh man, well, let's just do this tour. Question, actually a really specific question, and I've been meaning to ask somebody this, and so this, I'm going to ask you. Sure. Roadburn put out a Live at Roadburn, it was a Live at Roadburn 2015 record. Yeah. A hundred bands will play at Roadburn every year, and three, four, five Live at Roadburn records will follow um, at some point. Do you have any idea how those come to be, um, how the choice is made? Or do they give that option to everybody and some bands choose to do it and some don't? What's the story behind that? I assumed when Walter wrote me that they had had enough rejections that we were finally <laughs> the first idiots to say yes. Uh, I don't know, though. Okay. Uh, he wrote me and said, hey, we've got this really great live recording. Would it be OK if we put it out? And I was like, I don't know. Can I listen to it? And he was like, yeah, sure, here's the link, you know, and I listened to it and I didn't remember it being particularly fantastic that night uh, because we'd been touring with Eagle Twin. Yeah, uh, we'd been using Stephen O'Malley's Model T's and Model X amps, um, the Model X's he got from the Hex Cabs guys, the Eagle Twin guys. He was kind enough to just let us borrow them for the tour. And so we had gotten really dialed in on these very specific amplifiers we we're having all kinds of fun with the eagle twin guys they were super great to be on the road with and uh then we get to roadburn and there's this giant gear corral backstage and they're like all right uh so this is the stage that you're playing and what do you want up there and i was like i want a 1981 jcm 800 and i want a 1971 super lead plexi or super lead you know or super bass whatever like, you know, just those those kind of things will be fine. And I was ready to settle for anything. And they're like, nope, that's what you got. <laughs> I show up to the stage for the sound check. And here's this, you know, monster rig that's beautiful. And sound check was great. And then as soon as the show started, one of the amps stopped. Mm. And so I ended up just only running through the 800 which was not what I was used to. I was used to running through two amps and having like one amp that was set really clean that would have the effects. And then another amp that was set like on the point of breakup so that I could push hard, you know, with my hands and, and, and dig in or I could let up and it would let off. Um, and I was very used to that. And then now I had this JCM 800 that was just pretty much screaming at me the whole time. So I was like, I don't think this show is going to sound very good. And I listened to it and I was like, this sounds pretty good. Sure, let's put it out. But yeah, I still don't know if maybe 10 bands before us said no. <laughs> <laughs> I've just always been curious because Roadburn is such a special place for me. And, uh, you know, I try and get all of the live Roadburns from the bands that either I see or that I really like. Yeah. You guys did that one. Bellwitch had one from that same year. So I've just been curious about that. So it sounds like the mystery. Walter knows, and maybe Walter is the only one that knows. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe next time I see him, I'll, I'll have to remember to ask him. Yeah, ask him. How the heck did that come to pass anyway? Because <laughs> I know that he always liked me and Darcy personally. Like, we met him on accident the first year we went over. Okay. He was just a guy with an earpiece in his ear that was kind of like fretting about. 
and we were trying to figure out how to get from one area to another. So we're like, well, let's ask this guy. He works here. And he was like, where are you from? And we told him Boise. And he was like, and what are you doing in, you know, in Europe and in the Netherlands? Or was, we were like, well, we came for this. He was like, you came all the way from my festival? Yeah. And we were like, yeah. Wait, this is your festival? <laughs> we just met the guy. This is the awesome. guy. Yes. Yeah. So then we're then we we're friends from then on. So that was always nice. Yeah. But I don't think that he chose to put out a live record because we we're friends. Maybe. I don't I don't know. But I I still to this day will look at all of those, you know, official burning world yeah. road burn records. And I'm like, okay, Wolves in the Throne Room, enormous band, Yob, enormous band enslaved enormous band samoth race enormous band like all these enormous bands and then i'm like and then uzula what the fuck how, how is that a thing who just who, who decided that we would be in with them that's not right so i'm still blown away by that well it makes sense it makes perfect sense to me it fits right in with everything else and uh i love that recording well that's awesome you haven't been at least for the last few years I think 2015 was the last time I, yeah, it was the last time I saw you. So that would have been the last time you were there. Yeah. You anticipate yeah. at some point heading back over. Yeah. Someday. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping for next year. Yeah. Uh, but I would also like to uh, bring my dudes and right. let them see it too. Right. right. You know, show them around. I got to take Carson and Brandon to the little devil. It's, yes. it's important. <laughs> they need to understand me more deeply. Yeah that'll be the place <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about yeah we need to talk about them also here pretty soon um but sure just kind of wrapping up the uzula part you know i saw chuck at roadburn and I, I think it was 2016 it was one of those years and i said what's happening with uzula and he said you know when chuck and darcy want to get things going again they'll let me know and i'm there for it and that was kind of the end yeah and I know that you guys parted ways and the band kind of, the band called it a day. Uh, yeah, it was, it was on hold for a while. So that, that last tour that we did, Darcy and I were actually already split up. And before oh. we went over, we were like, do we do like an interview with somebody and like tell people or does it matter? And so we didn't because we were like, yeah, whatever. It's our personal bullshit. Like who really cares what's happening with us? you know, that people want to hear about the record and new songs and stuff like that. Um, and so we didn't feel like it needed to be announced or whatever. So we just did the tour. And, and I thought that was the funniest part about Grootla from Enslaved shouting out from the audience, I love your wife, you know, and I'm that like, was him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'm, I'm like, kind of like trying to go, well, is this the time when I, say she's not anymore like what do i do it is i just kept joking you know uh that whole set turned into stupid jokes yeah uh i've never said any of those things before or since uh i don't know where all that energy came from with the ridiculous stage banter but yeah probably grootless fault okay <laughs> yeah no i know exactly what you're talking about i didn't know he was the one that hollered that out yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he did ask me to delete that and i told him that i was not going to it's there for posterity's sake for sure yeah <laughs> so um after uzula came to an end did you just kind of take a break or did you start working on something else right away 
we took a break for a bit and and darcy and i had more songs okay and we were talking about like what do we want to do darcy was done with touring i wanted all of the touring so that wasn't gonna work and uh she moved like part-time to uh north carolina and um was like kind of back and forth and uh she started doing some like r&b stuff and piano stuff and she called me up one day you know after we were like okay we we'd kind of finally decided we're like okay we're gonna be like dark throne and just never play live again no festivals no nothing it'll just never happen we'll just make records and we'll just release them as we see fit and nobody can tell us what to do and who cares right. and we, we had both agreed on that and then she she called me up one day and she was sounded kind of upset and she was like you know i just think it would be false mm. she was like there's nothing worse than false metal and i'm not in the same headspace as i was then and i'm not feeling like it would be a true reflection of myself to sing about despair and and all of this stuff and i was like that's the best reason i can think of to not continue this yeah. so so we won't and so whatever those songs were they're gone i don't have any recordings of them um, they're just dust, which I think is also appropriate for that whole thing. You know, songs about despair and uh, betrayal and suicide and stuff. It's like, yeah, just let all of that stuff turn to dust. Sure, sure. That's that's the poetry of it right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, uh, yeah, then after that, after uh, a while of uh, grieving, because I'm really good at that, <laughs> I started some stuff. I was like, I was sure that I was going to start a death metal band. And I kind of started looking around at, at what that would look like for my life. And I was like, nah, that's not going to work. Not here. I started playing some more music. The Gorot guys came to me before they had a name. And they said, hey, man, we're starting this thing. Do you want to join us? And I was like, I was at a particularly low point in my life. And I was like, I think I was probably kind of a dick about it. I was like, I don't join bands. I form bands, like kind of an asshole thing to say, you know, and, and just kind of blew it off. And I saw that they kept going without me, which I thought was cool. And they didn't have somebody else do it. They just didn't have a guitar player. Right. And I was like, well, fuck, these guys are determined. Like they really got this thing going on in, for their vision. And then I saw that they were opening for Monolord. And I was like, well, I'm going to go see Monolord. Monolord opened for me once upon a time in mm -hmm. Gothenburg. Like when they were like the local dudes, I was like, this is sick. I'll get to see my old friends. I'll get to see my new friends playing their stuff. They opened the show and I was right up front for support. The entire time I could see myself yeah. doing that with them and I could hear it. And I was like, yep, I done fucked up. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to Carson, uh, bass player, vocalist after the show and I kind of put my hand on his shoulder and I was like dude please accept my apology and if you'll still have me I would love to try out for your band and and I, I was I was humbled or mm. maybe even humiliated a little bit <laughs> and and then he was like yeah we'd love we'd love to have you and I went in and they already had five songs and I was like well shit all I got to do is decorate this stuff with guitar sick so that was that was really good and they've been 
awesome. They've seen me go through some super low shit and I'm feeling really good now. But yeah, those guys definitely watched me cry while I was playing guitar plenty of times. And they didn't, they didn't even laugh at me once. <laughs> well, that's perfect. <laughs> you found your place then and you found the support you need and you use music to, to usher yourself through that pit that you were in yeah whatever form that was so that's i mean that's that's it that's that's what this music is for um yeah for you as you create it for for us in the audience the people that listen and appreciate it and live with it and live in it i mean that's what all of this that's what heavy music is about for me that's the presence that it's had in my life for sure yeah, man. um this past year was has been one of the worst years of my life the hardest year and yeah, a lot of people can say that um i'm sure but man just being with being home all the time just surrounding myself with records and cds and and living in this is is what is is, is one of one of the main things that has pulled me through it in one piece um yeah. and that ties right into what you're saying you know it's it's that's the thing that you were able to put your feet I'm telling you what you're feeling. I apologize for that, but that it's just, this is kind of what gets me going about this, right? It, it gets me yeah. uh, excited and kind of passionate when I hear people saying, yeah, I'm making this music and it is pure emotion. It's just coming from that place. And, uh, and it's, it's letting me work stuff out. Um, yeah. I, I didn't even, yeah. I didn't even have to think about notes or chords anymore with yeah. this music playing with those guys. They, they already had this structure. They already had the songs down and I was able to just come in and literally play my heart out mm. and, and, and rip my own heart out and throw it on the ground and stuff it down my throat and all <laughs> the things that I needed to do to get through all of the shit yeah. with alcohol and drugs and the passing of my father yeah. and losing. I, I still hadn't really dealt with losing Uzula and, um, with Darcy and I being split, even though it was the best thing for us, it was still incredibly fucking hard. We had 18 years together, you know. We're still friends, by the way. Oh, good. She's Great. still the mother of my brilliant child. Awesome. She gave me the best gift that anyone ever could. So, yeah, things are good. But holy shit, I went through a lot of crap. And a lot of it was self-inflicted. Mm -hmm. I've been massively depressed uh what do they call it major depression i guess for as long as i can remember uh maybe longer maybe i just don't know what it, what it was like to be depressed as a kid but yeah this stuff like i'm still majorly depressed but i'm able to maintain and even keel much better now for a whole lot of reasons but uh, being in this band and just having these guys who just gave me an anchor to just purely create even in the recording session that we did for this upcoming record there was a point where Carson said oh man I think he landed on the wrong note there and I was like well I don't really fucking care and I was kind of being a dismissive joke jerk about it but I also kind of really didn't care and he was like, dude, it's a recording. Like, you can just fix it. And we played it back. And he was like, oh, actually, that sounds really fucking cool. It's still wrong, but it's, it sounds really cool. And I was like, yeah, let's keep it. It's it's the right kind of wrong. Yeah. And I, I do plenty of that. 
it's kind of my specialty at this point where I just don't, I try not to care about that correct stuff anymore. I, I, I want to bend a note till it breaks and it breaks me too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's what's behind it. Yeah. The songs on Loss of Light, which is the name of the record that will be out uh-huh. a few weeks, next month sometime. Yeah. Those guys had written all of those already? Uh, I wrote one of them. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, the, so even they had five songs when I started. They had, the, they had the, the EP that they did, and then they had a couple other songs. I learned all of that stuff. And then, um, then I was like, hey, I have riffs too. And they're like, yeah, I fucking bet you do. And I was like, well, yeah, I don't have any of them right now. I'll just come up with them right now. Um, <laughs> but I did have one song that I'd been just dicking around with on this little parlor guitar. And then I was playing that song uh, with, I don't think that we ever came up with a name for the band. Uh, it was me and, and my buddy, Mike, and uh, and my other friend, Jake, that I used to do uh, Radio Boise, uh, Heavier Than Thou radio show with right, did right, that for right. a while. So anyway, I had this song and, and it was like lifted some earth riffs and I don't know what else I lifted. It seems like everything was lifted. Um, I don't know how much of that's true or whatever. Yeah, so I had that song, uh, ended up calling it uh, Charioteer of Fire. So that's on the new, new one. Um, and that's also an inside joke between me and some Norwegians. I don't know why. They're jokers. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Me and Dogfin, it's like, uh, hey, let's go down to the, to the, uh, let's go down to the bar of fire. Everything, everything is of fire. Of fire. And uh, it's all, all to be blamed on Rhapsody when they changed their name from Rhapsody to Rhapsody of fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you guys are going to, I mean, you mentioned to me as we were talking about setting this up that you were planning on coming through here in october so i'm assuming that that there's a tour in the works and i don't yeah. know if that's something you can talk about or not so if there's any of this that you can't talk about just say i can't talk about it uh i don't know that i can't talk about it because we're putting it together and uh I, I would like everybody to know uh i think there's a few things that are still kind of up in the air but um i think it's all coming together rapidly as uh as time progresses I, i've been talking to some really cool people and some really cool bands and hoping that that they can play with us in some really cool cities but yeah nothing is 100 percent confirmed yet and as it you know gets closer to july i'm like man october is right around the corner yeah. we need to get this shit together you know uzla always was kind of uh plan real hard and then fly by the seat of our pants so i hope these guys are good at it too because i'm real good at that um real good with it as well yeah, plan hard and then be ready to uh, be adaptable. Sure. I mean, I think that's it. Lay the lay the groundwork and then just let it go. Yeah. yeah. Have you played a show with them yet? With Gorot? Yes. Uh, I did three shows with them. Uh, the, la- the final one was December 7th, 2019. Okay. Uh, opening for Chemist. Okay. Denver Rockers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that they're not a Denver band at all at this point. That's just a silly thing to say. <laughs> My Denver boys over here. Yeah, right. Uh, internationally known uh, recording artists. Yeah. Chemist. yeah. yeah. <laughs> recording and touring artists. Chemist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that was that was great. Um, 
and we decided to take a hiatus um, to write, and uh, and then the world fell apart. Yes. Yeah. And so we just dug in deep, and we did a lot of mask practices and yeah. a lot of hand washing, and you know, listening to the news and trying to see, you know, what the experts who were not wearing red hats were saying. Yeah. Um, trying to get actual advice from you know scientists. people who were uh, yeah scientists yeah. who were trying to figure out this new and fantastic way of people dying yeah. and you know as interested as i am oftentimes in my life and going ahead and dying i still keep not doing it because <laughs> living is so much more fucking interesting uh-huh. uh my curiosity has saved me a lot and uh so i kept washing my hands and wearing a mask <laughs> staying a, you know a few extra feet apart from people i mean those things yeah. make a big difference Absolutely. Yeah, not hugging those dudes was real hard for me. Yeah, I bet. Big time into hugging. So yeah, we 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 got through all of that stuff. We uh when we recorded at uh ZV House's uh Rabbit Brush Studios, uh we got to hang out with chickens. Uh he has a lot of chickens. Nice. So that was like recording breaks was go and hang out with some chickens, <laughs> eat some cool food from drive drive-ins and um and then get back to recording. He's really a cool recording engineer. Uh, had some awesome ideas for us. I think he did a rad job of recording the album and of mixing the album. James Plotkin yes. mastered it. Uh, he mastered the uh, live Uzula thing too. Oh, right. So uh, I think I think we did a, a good thing. I think it's uh, got the equal parts of just bludgeoning ridiculously heavy stuff and and also like the emotive and uh tearjerker hand-wringing yeah. kind of uh stuff too perfect yeah. two of my favorite things mine too absolutely <laughs> no I, I can't wait to hear it. i've only heard the one song i've only heard dead gods um ah I thought Harbinger about comes out uh, on Tuesday. The what? Harbinger. Oh, okay. Uh, video will come out on Tuesday. Okay, great. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. Yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to hear that. I thought about reaching out to James over at Transylvanian and asking whether he could share the files with me, uh, just so that I would have heard the whole thing before I talked to you. But decided I would just ah. wait and um, and I'll pick up a copy when it's out. Um, he's putting out the cassette and digital. Transylvanian recordings and then inverse is releasing a vinyl right and you can get no nope. vinyl uh, in, inverse is doing cds oh cds okay yep yep so they're doing cds in europe and everywhere else apparently okay. um they've got worldwide distribution okay. i guess and then uh and then we did the vinyl oh okay. it was a self-release right okay. yeah cool uh, I had I had uh, big ideas to do 500, and fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, and we did 200. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see how well that goes. Yeah, um, well, you can do a second press if you need to. Yeah. Um, great. Well, I'm looking. See, you should you should be in my band because then you could talk some sense into me. I'm, I'm available. <laughs> yeah. Let me check. Oh no, I'm available. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm super looking forward to that, and uh, I'm glad. I was really glad to see you back working again making music again and uh, yeah because I, my sense was that things maybe were not going super well and I just had no one told me that I just had this 
idea in my head and to see you kind of resurface more publicly, you know, on social media and then to see, you know, to see your name connected with Gorat. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was good. So I was glad to, uh, awesome to see that. And I wanted to, uh, welcome you back for sure. It feels really good, man. I, I'm really excited to, to do whatever the fuck we can do. You know, like I, I, I want to, I want to go back to Europe. Uh, haven't been to Japan yet and Australia also okay. might need, uh, to have me kick a guitar around on stage too. Who I've knows? They do. I've heard they do. Yeah. Need. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking so. I think uh, I think if I could get down there uh, and do a little tour with White Horse, mm, I don't yes. think any, I don't think anybody would be mad about that at all. I might need to. Yeah. Well, now that I'm in the band, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to doing that tour too because the White Horse guys are great and they're awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one other kind of goofy thing I wanted to ask you about when we hung out that one evening in uh, Amsterdam. I don't know why, but we talked for a long time about Black Sabbath's Born Again. Yeah, the Do most you... underrated record, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, at, at, least, at least in the top three underrated records from them. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I felt like that was always a crime somehow, that, that that one gets so overlooked. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I do too. In fact, it was, I, I guess my, my first Black Sabbath record was actually speak the devil you know the aussie record that he put out yeah you know after me Rain. too that, yeah that was sort of i didn't even know why that was a, i didn't i didn't even understand that that's what i had i didn't either. i was like yeah. i was like here's this new aussie record with these songs that i don't know that i don't know yeah and that kind of <laughs> that i knew all those songs later on from that record um yeah and at that point ronnie was in the band was in sabbath um mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was, when Ozzy put that record out, Ronnie was in Sabbath, or was maybe just finishing around that point. Um, and then, what is it, 83, Ian comes in and they do Born Again. And so that was actually the first, the first real Black Sabbath album that I ever owned. Um, that was like the Black Sabbath relapse album. It's like, it's like when they were like, you know what? We should do shitloads of cocaine again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make this record super fucking shiny. Yeah. And what would happen? If <laughs> and I love it. You know, it people, I think people are appreciating it more now, but, um, yeah. but man, I mean, from, you know, from the kind of the barn burners, like, you know, trashed and, you know, digital bitch to, um, I mean, disturbing the priests, and of course, zero the hero. Uh, I mean, yeah. and, and the song "Born Again." Those songs are amazing. People, I, I loved know. it so much that when it was time to do T-shirts for the radio show yeah. for Heavier Than Thou yeah. on Radio Boise, that was the image that I chose. Was that baby? The baby, I love the and baby, that, and, and that font. And so we did Radio yeah. Boise, uh, Heavier Than Thou shirts, <laughs> and it was it was a born again shirt because yeah. I, I i was feeling kind of that i was uh, a little bit being born again as a radio dj at that time because uh, all of the uzla stuff had fallen apart and i was like this is my new thing this like getting back to that mark hanford thing when i would go to lance's house up on the hill in mountain home and i could listen to mutant pop mm. and i felt like like maybe that shit kept me alive listening to that like having at least every friday i could look forward to going to 
Lance's house and hearing new music. And, and I, I'll never forget Mark Hanford. I was stuck in this fucking dipshit, hateful town. And, and I could hear that and look forward to something. And when I started doing radio Boise, I felt like I had like a new calling in life. My, Mm. my dad, after, after retiring from the air force, went through a whole bunch of shit. And then he got the calling to become a pastor. And I almost felt like this was like, I almost felt like it was like a calling from God or, or whatever to, to be this guy, this, you know, disembodied voice on the air and playing music. Cause I was like, I was like, what if some kid in some fucking dipshit hateful town is fucking screaming to fucking get the fuck out of there? And what if my voice fucking keeps that kid going? Yeah. What if the promise of that new record, yeah. you know, from whoever, you know, what if this is like, yeah, I get it. They all have fucking YouTube these days and they don't need me. But like, what if I'm, what if I help? What if my choices help somebody else? Even, you know, and that felt right? really fucking good. Yeah. 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 That's huge. I don't know where I was going with that. Something about born again shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, I mean, yeah, that was an important undertaking, and you used that much maligned image <laughs> on shirts for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reclaiming. Yeah, we were doing like fundraiser stuff because uh, Radio Boise is like a volunteer-run, uh, community-supported um, radio station. Um, no commercials, right? We were doing that whole cool thing and uh, playing records out of this basement. And uh, so we were trying to drum up support. It was either spring radiothon or fall radiothon. And we're like, hey man, you know, donate 20 bucks or 30 bucks or 12 cents and we'll give you a shirt. And so I made up a bunch of shirts cause I, you know, I'm a screen printer. And so I had access to all of that. Yeah, we were just trying to, uh, we're like, you know, like Jake and I just pitched in on, on doing, you know, getting the garments and stuff. And then um, we're like, just, try to get people in these cool shirts and uh walk around with these fake black sabbath shirts <laughs> uh yeah it was, it was fun though uh i did that for a while and it was good time yeah it was and it's cool not having to be beholden to any sponsors yes. you know i didn't have to answer to anyone saying well you know that doesn't really reflect the values of our company like well i don't give a fuck yeah. And, you know, being on at midnight is helpful, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of times where I was like, is anyone listening at all? Hmm, I don't know. Did you, did people call in ever? They did, but I told them to stop doing that because we didn't have proper <laughs> staffing to actually, like, handle their phone calls. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't supposed to tell them to stop calling. I was supposed to get somebody to help me, but uh, we didn't have anybody, like... Friday nights at midnight, everybody stayed far away from that station except for uh, me and Jake. <laughs> uh, Brett Netson from Caustic Resin and Built to Spill would sometimes come and sit in with us as well. But yeah, we 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 had we had a fun time. That's that's done. That's not happening anymore. Uh, I kind of uh, at a certain point, I kind of uh, lost heart for it. Um, okay. I, I wanted to get back into playing live music. Yeah, I had gotten into some pretty heavy personal shit and I just wanted to step away for a little while. Yeah. And the longer I stayed away, the better I felt about it. It was time, time then ran its course. 
yeah 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 and maybe maybe i'll do it again someday maybe i'll do my own show well there's always maybe someday i'll have a record collection that looks like yours (laughs) i bet you've got that already (laughs) it's maybe maybe a third of that okay well this is about half here i have Mm. i have a cottage out back it's got the other half in it it's too okay it's kind of gross actually okay so i have a third of your half then a third of my half. <laughs> so listen um i will let you go but okay. this has been uh this has been great thank you for taking the time and for um just kind of going through it all with me um i really do you know i i, I love uzla i still listen to those records and have great memories of, of roadburn and you know hanging out with you guys that night um and i can't wait to to you know, see you guys, see, see Gorat. Um, hopefully that'll happen before, you know, before too long. Well, we'll see. Dude, it was awesome seeing you and, and hearing your voice and talking to you. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Brushing my ears and the tips of my friends.